All right, we're in the middle of Romans. Man, we're not in the middle of it. We're just beginning, actually. But we're through with the introduction now, and we are in the meat. We're getting into the meat of this theological jewel. I think it's the crown jewel of theology. And today we come to a passage that we've got to address. This is why I love preaching through books of the Bible, because when you preach through books of the Bible, you've got to preach what's there. You can't avoid a subject. Uh, you know, uh, you hate it for that reason. You love it for that reason as a pastor. But, uh, uh, you know, we preach through the Bible because we want you to know the Bible. And today we're going to deal with a very relevant topic for our world, uh, homosexuality. Now, you know, I, I was thinking as I was writing this, and I'm, I'm like, okay, listen, I heard about a blind guy who goes into a bar, uh, goes up to the bar and orders a drink and asks the bartender if she wants to hear a blonde joke. So he hears a deep voice beside of him say, hey, buddy, the bartender's blonde. The lady beside of you is a blonde MMA fighter, and I'm a blonde bodybuilder. You sure you still want to tell that blonde joke? He thought for a minute and said, nah, not if I'm going to have to explain it three times. So, uh, <laughs> listen, I'm kidding if you're blonde, okay? I'm kidding, you know, but, uh, and that has nothing to do with what I'm going to say today. I'm just trying to delay the game, actually, okay? Uh, but no, I'm trying to get you warmed up because we've got a long, hard run in front of us as we talk about what Paul wrote to the church in Rome about homosexuality, okay? And now if you, uh, by any stretch, have ever thought, well, you know what? The Bible is not relevant today. Anybody who's ever thought the Bible is not relevant today has not read Paul lately, Okay? Because Paul's writing this letter to the Romans. He's in the church, or he's in Corinth, the city of Corinth. He's on his third journey, and he's in the city of Corinth. And the city of Corinth is the most immoral city in the history of cities, to be quite honest. I mean, it had this temple to Aphrodite. Now, obviously, you know Aphrodite is uh, uh, it's where we get the term aphrodisiac. It's the sex goddess, right? And so she had this temple there, and, and, and there was a thousand-plus prostitutes who helped people worship the sex goddess. And so you can imagine Corinth, because as the worship goes, so goes the city. So you can imagine Corinth and, and just the perversion that was going on there. So that's where Paul is. We know from reading Corinthians, uh, his letter to the Corinthians, that he had to write back because that had worked its way into the church. And, you know, as Christians, uh, we're not perfect people. Uh, the church is not perfect people. If you're looking for a perfect church, you did not find it today, all right? I challenge you to go find it, all right? Uh, but stay away from it because you'll mess it up if there is one, all right? So uh, there is no perfect church, and he wrote back, and that's why I love Paul's writings here. He's writing to Rome. Now, if you know anything about Rome from studying history and, and, and whatnot in college, then you know that Rome was famous for its brutal arena sports, for its political corruption, for its self-indulgence, for all kind of sexual perversion, for se sex before marriage, sex outside of marriage, orgies, uh, homosexuality and pedophilia rampant there, okay? So as Paul is writing, he's writing from a city to a city. Both of those cities make a strip club in Vegas look like a child show on Nickelodeon, to be quite honest. I mean, these are perverse cities, and so it's very relevant to our world today, all right? Now, as we talk about what Paul writes here to the church about homosexuality, I, I want to establish some ground rules first and foremost. One, uh, in a congregation this size, we've probably got folks on both sides of the aisle, okay? You might disagree with me, and that's your prerogative to be wrong. I don't care, okay? So... Uh, just a joke. Uh, really, I'm, I'm not. It, it, the uh, it, we got people on both sides of the aisle, and my point is, uh, man, if you disagree with me, that's great. But be nice. I'd hate to have you tased and carried out of here unconscious. All right. In love, of course. All right. So, uh, but no, uh, uh, we, 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 you might disagree with me. That's all right. That's all right. Uh, the second thing I want to say is, um, you know, this is not an issue about politics. This is an issue about people. This is an issue about people. This directly affects all of us in our world today. Uh, some of you have family members who have same-sex attraction. Some of you have friends. Some of your kids, some of your kids' friends. Some of you in this room have same-sex attraction. And so here's how we're going to handle this today. We're going to handle this with truth and grace. We're going to speak truth and we're going to show compassion. That is our bottom line for today. That's what I want you to hang on to. I, when it comes to homosexuality, when you see that in our world, whether it's if you work with someone who is a, a homosexual, a transgender, if you go to school with someone, if someone lives in your neighborhood, I want you to speak truth 
and show compassion. You speak truth, you show grace. There's two ditches, right? We have a ditch to where people doesn't speak, people don't speak truth. People are afraid to speak truth. Man, we just accept by, by, by not saying anything, we almost accept it. So that's a ditch, it's just go with whatever. But another ditch is holding up a sign that says God hates fags because that completely dishonors God. That is a complete dishonoring to God. Those are two ditches. So we want to get out of the ditches and we're going to speak truth, but we're going to show compassion and grace and love and tolerance. Now, I mention tolerance because I want to talk about that word because it is a completely misused and abused word today. Come to mean something that it totally does not mean, okay? For instance, the LGBT community would claim that anyone who disagrees with uh, their stance is intolerant. And by the way, we're not going to tolerate intolerant people. Isn't that funny? And so uh, tolerance does not mean we can't disagree. If we didn't disagree, we wouldn't need tolerance. Tolerance means we're going to disagree and tolerate each other, right? Isn't that what tolerance means? And so we're not going to tolerate sin here. We're not going to wink at it, in other words. We're not going to pass a blind eye at it. We're not going to not call sin, sin. So we're, but we're not going to tolerate sin, but we're, we're going to love those who commit sin, which is all of us, okay? We're going to love those who commit sin. So, so uh, I, I want you to understand that show compassion, speak truth, show compassion. Third, man, this is not just about homosexuality. This is about sexual sin uh, uh, in general and all sin in general. But it's not just about homosexuality. It, we, we have to go deeper and we can't just pick out a sin that's a minority sin. And because we're in the majority, we look down our nose and are repulsed by a minority sin. Okay? So it's not just about homosexuality. It is about sin. For instance, you cannot, let me, let me tell you, explain what I mean by that. You cannot be repulsed by a show that, that has a homosexual storyline and be okay with a show that celebrates adultery and free love. You can't do both of those things, right? You can't do it. And you, you can't fast forward through Modern Family and rewind a Hardy's commercial, guys. You can't do that. I mean, see, you got to understand the, the issues here, okay? Now, next, I, I, I'm speaking to this issue as a pastor, okay? I, I study a lot, but I'm not a scholar. I love theology, and I dive into theology, but I'm not a theologian. I'm a pastor. And so I, I'm dealing with this issue from the perspective of a pastor, which means I believe the Bible is God's Word, that it contains the words of God. So the Bible is my supreme authority in my life because it's God's revelation of himself to us. So that means what I believe about homosexuality, heterosexual sin, adultery, sex before marriage, what I believe about drunkenness, uh, what I believe about sex, alcohol, what I believe about every issue, missions, the heart of God among the nations, what I believe about every issue you can imagine comes into alignment with what I believe God teaches about it in his word. Because that's the perspective I come. Now, I want you to understand the perspective we always come from is the Bible. That's why, you know, we don't teach what the Bible doesn't teach when it comes to alcohol. We're not going to tell you it's wrong to have, uh, have a, a, a drink of wine because it's not. It's wrong to, to, to be drunk. We stand on the Bible. We're not going to tell you sex is horrible because sex is glorious. If, if done the way God created it, we stand on the Bible, okay? And so I want you to understand that's where we come from, all right? Now, as we dive into this, you know, I, I want you to understand there's nowhere we can run and nowhere we can hide from the issue of homosexuality, transgender issues in our world today, same-sex marriage. There's nowhere to run. There's nowhere to hide. It is everywhere. It is everywhere, folks. The church can no longer ignore this issue. You must talk about it. We must talk about it here. We must talk about it with our children. And don't think if your child is in middle school, oh, don't think even before middle school, you don't need to start having these discussions. This is a major issue in middle school today. I, I hope you know that as a parent. And if you don't, I hope I'm not shocking you to say if your child is in middle school, they have seen this behavior. And I've heard it talked about. So uh, we got to talk about it. And so we provided a, a, a page. Uh, one sermon is not going to do it. So, so let me, uh, uh, that's why we, I'm sorry y'all got in late. The music went way long the last service, all right? 
So uh, he was the last up, so whoever's last up gets the blame, right? So uh, actually, I preached way too long, uh, and so uh, I don't know if it's too long or not, but it was long. Uh, some of the old people going, hey, you got to let us old people know because we need a time out, if you know what I mean, right? So, uh, but uh, we, uh, 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 w- uh, there's, a, there's a resource on our website, lifepointchurch.org. Uh, there's a resource there, a, a page. Go there. It's got books that I highly recommend, articles from the Gospel Coalition. Uh, it, it's got some books and some articles that you can go for further reading. Next Sunday evening at 5 p.m., I want all of you to come back. At 5 p.m. Uh, next Sunday evening, right here, I've invited Philip Bethencourt, who is the Executive Vice President of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission. He accepted my invitation. He's coming. Uh, he and I have met. I know him. He's coming. He is going to talk to you about same-sex marriage issues from uh, in our country. To He's going to talk to you about transgender, homosexuality. This is what we're calling it. The Bible, homosexuality, same-sex marriage, transgender, and porn. And that's next Sunday at 5 p.m. right here. I want all of you to come and be a part of that. And uh, uh, he'll do a short, short presentation. Then he and I will get up and answer questions, all right? So this is a part of the processing that we want you to do with this issue, okay? So, so uh, because we want you to start the conversation because there's nowhere we can hide. I mean, uh, recently, Tanya uh, Lurman, who is an anthropologist at Stanford University, said the evangelical world is at a crossroads. And that crossroads is, that crossroad is, should Christians... Can they be gay and married and within the church? And they cannot ignore it any longer. Now, that's a Stanford University anthropologist, okay? But in my world, when I read and study and listen and and I study the church world and and, and the evangelical world, uh, there's hardly a week goes by that we don't see some evangelical leader or an entire denomination or some evangelical group that goes against and sets aside Thousands of years of teaching from Old Testament prophets, from New Testament apostles, from church fathers, from biblical, theolo- uh, biblical theology, systematic theology, set it aside completely and says, we are no longer saying that homosexual, same-sex marriage is, is wrong. We're, we're going to marry. Uh, we're going to celebrate it. We're going to let, let homosexuals serve. Uh, all over the evangelical world, that's happening on a weekly basis. Matthew Vines is a guy who has led the charge in this. He wrote a book called God and the Gay Christian. He is an LGBT activist and also claims to be gay and claims to be a Christian. And he wrote this book, and he also started a a Christian nonprofit called the Reformation Project. And the aim of his Reformation Project is to reform the church's teaching on homosexuality. And he claims within his book and within his Reformation Project that being homosexual and being a Christian is absolutely compatible biblically. Okay? Now, now it's not just in New York. It's not just in L.A. It's right here in our own backyard. It's just a couple of weeks ago. Many of you saw the story in the Tennessean or heard uh, the story about a pastor in Brentwood who completely set aside thousands of years of biblical teaching, completely bowed down and fell to cultural pressure to say that we are now going to marry homosexuals and allow homosexuals to serve within our church and hold positions of leadership because it is no longer, uh, uh, it's no longer wrong. We don't really care what the Bible says. We are elevating experience and cultural relevance over the Bible when it comes to our authority. That is what happened. Now, the Presbytery of Middle Tennessee, which is the PCUSA, there are a couple of branches of Presbyterian. One is very solid and and, and we are very akin to. One is very liberal. The PCUSA, Presbyterian Church USA, is a very liberal branch of the Presbyterian uh, denomination. And the PCUSA in Middle Tennessee recently has said homosexual marriage, same-sex marriage is valid and okay. It's right here. We cannot ignore it any longer. We cannot ignore it, we cannot look over it, and we, we must talk about it. Now, here's what I want you to understand, okay? The issue for me, there's no animosity when it comes to homosexuals, even LGBT. The issue is the Bible and when people attack the validity of the Bible. So let me explain what I mean by that. I have literally zero respect for anyone who claims that homosexuality and the Bible is compatible. Zero. 
Basically, what that, that, that is akin to someone claiming that the Holocaust never happened just because they don't want it to be so, which has happened. Pure ignorance, pure heretical ignorance. So I have no respect for anyone who claims that, that the Bible and homosexuality is compatible. Some will say, well, you know what, the Bible's okay. Because Jesus never specifically mentioned homosexuality coming out of the, the, the red letters in your Bible. Jesus never specifically mentioned it, so it's okay. I'm like, really, you want to go there? I mean, Jesus really never mentioned out of his mouth that you can't beat your wife. Is that okay? Jesus really never mentioned that you can't have playtime with a squirrel. Is that okay? You know, I mean, you really don't want to go there. I mean, it, it just becomes ignorance. And so I don't have respect for, for people who claim the Bible and, and homosexuality and transgender is compatible and it's okay, right? But here's what I really don't care. I don't care what liberal pastors, I don't care what liberal politicians I don't care what activists uh, say about it. I, I don't care what, uh, you know, uh, liberal pastors say about it. I don't care what the media says about it. I really don't care what you say about it, and I don't really care what I say about it. That doesn't matter. My point is, what you and what I say really doesn't matter. The only thing that matters is what does God say? What does God say? And God makes it clear, as I told you, this is where we're coming from, God makes it clear through his word that homosexuality is sinful and he condemns it all through his word. Matter of fact, let me give you some verses. I'm not going to have time to hit them all today. So you can write these down and study them uh, uh, for, on your own. One is Genesis 19. That's the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. You know, God destroys Sodom and Gomorrah and, you know, the LGBT community says, well, that's, that was a, he, he destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah because of, they were inhospitable. They didn't receive, no, it was because of sexual perversion, okay? And so, uh, so Ge Genesis 19, Leviticus 18, 22, uh, Leviticus 20, 13, 1 Corinthians 6, 9 and 10. We're going to talk about that at the end of today's message. 1 Timothy 1, 9 and 10. Listen, Scripture's clear. Scripture's clear. You, you cannot say anyone with any sense of, of biblical integrity cannot say homosexuality and the Bible is compatible. Any more than we can say, you know what, murder, I, murder is compatible with the Scripture, uh, adultery is compatible with the Scripture. I mean, we can, you cannot say that with any kind of biblical integrity. That's my point. So my, 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 my beef is not with any homosexual individual or a group of people. You know, God's not picking on, he, Paul's not going to pick on a group of marginalized people here, you know, saying homosexuality is unforgivable sin. That's not what we're going to deal with. My issue is with the Bible and, 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 and living the Bible. For instance, let me help you to understand. I talked about Rob Bell the last couple of weeks. Now, Rob Bell was a pastor. Thank the Lord he is no longer a pastor. He is now Oprah's spiritual guru, okay? And so Rob Bell, when he was a pastor, wrote a book called Love Wins. That's the death knell of being a pastor. If you're a pastor and you sort of write a book that says there is no hell, uh, you're probably not going to be a pastor long, right? And so, uh, uh, so he wrote a book, said uh, when it comes to getting into heaven, everybody gets a participation trophy. If you're breathing, that's the requirement, right? Dead, heart, heart stops, you go to heaven. Right? So he's not, no longer a pastor, and that, that, that got the ire of everybody. And so really, to be quite honest, he, Rob Bell believes in a different gospel than I believe in. So, you know, I mean, you have to believe in the wrath of God and hell to understand what God saves us from. And so therefore, he does not believe in the gospel that I believe in. And so he is not, you know, in, 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 he is not biblically what I consider to be someone who's leading people down the right, or even maybe a believer, because he does not believe in the gospel I believe in. Okay? Now, so therefore, what he says about anything, I, I understand because he does not understand it from a biblical perspective. Last week, he come out and said, when it comes to homosexuality, a former pastor, when it comes to homosexuality and same-sex marriage, the, church against, the church's stance against same-sex marriage is relying upon 2,000-year-old letters that are completely irrelevant. He's talking about Romans. He's talking about 1 Corinthians, those letters. Basically, he said, the church stands against homosexuality because they believe the Bible and the Bible's irrelevant. My respect for Rob Bell went from below the earth, sky high. You say, what? He said, here's why. Finally, someone who claims to be spiritual 
and supports homosexuality, finally someone at least had the guts to say, when it comes to homosexuality, you cannot reconcile it with the Bible. Forget the Bible. Do what you want to do. Finally, I respect that. Now we can start. I respect that. To be quite honest, I respect somebody that says, this ain't a Bible issue. Bible's clear. I don't believe the Bible. I don't want nothing to do with the Bible. This is how I want to live. Man, I'll respect you. We can, now we can go out and have a beverage and have a conversation. But when, but, but when there's tension because you believe the Bible, that's my issue. Okay? That's my issue. So my respect for Baal went way high when he said, uh, you know what? Forget the Bible. The Bible's what's causing people to have issues with this. You can't reconcile it. So just forget it. Do your own thing. Yes, that's the point. So let's look at Romans chapter 1. Took a long time to get the scripture, didn't it? Let's look at Romans chapter 1. And let, let, we, we looked at 21 through 23 last week, but I want to go back because I want to help you to understand the progression here. Paul says, For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. He's talking about everybody. Go back and listen to last week's message. Nobody ever born does not know God, but we reject God. We don't go to hell because we haven't heard the gospel. We go to hell because we reject the truth. Okay? So, so uh, as we said last week, we die because we got the disease, not because we haven't heard of the cure. Well, people go to hell because of the sin of the, the, the disease of sin, not because they haven't heard the gospel, because people have rejected the truth. They didn't worship God uh, or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking. Look at this phrase right here. This is important. Futile in their thinking. Very important. Circle that. We're going to talk about that. They became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Okay? Claiming to be wise, they became fools. Now, this word is moronic in the Greek. So basically, here's what Paul is saying. There's going to be people who, because they've rejected the truth, are going to think they're smarter, become wise in their own eyes. They're smarter than God. They're going to claim homosexuality is okay. They're going to claim heterosexual sin is okay. They're going to claim they were born that way. But they're going to be morons. They're going to think they're wise, but they're morons. I mean, that's the Bible, not me, okay? So, uh, so that's what Paul says, all right? So here's what he says. Paul says basic fundamental issue with humanity is that we're idolaters. Now, we think of idolaters as people who worship gods made out of stone or wood. They are in many parts of the world. If you go around the world, there are people who worship sticks made into gods and stones, and I've seen them. And, you know, you go to Bangkok, and there's, there's spirit houses, and they have this god image of a god made out of precious stone. I mean, we saw that when, with the children of Israel when they come out of Egypt, and they made a golden calf. And So we think of that as idol idolatry, and, and it is, but we're more refined in America we're more progressive in America, and so we don't worship sticks and stones and, you know, and, and precious metals, but what we do is we, we, we worship other things. We become, idolatry is not just worshiping idols made of stick and stone. Idolatry is when anything gives us security and significance other than God. Idolatry is whatever has our money, whatever has our time, whatever has our heart, whatever is the center and circumference of our life. That's what idolatry is. For some of us, it's our children, to be quite honest. Some people worship their children. Some people worship their spouse, their husband. Some guys worship their job. Some guys worship sports. It's a possession. But there are many things we worship. And here's what Paul says here. When we worship something other than God, when anything but God is the center and circumference of our life, what happens is it warps our thinking. Our thinking becomes warped. We become futile in our minds. That's what he said. So our, 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 our thinking becomes warped. Now let's go on and read verses 24 and 25. In 24 and 25 it says, Therefore, now look, their minds are warped, therefore God gave them up. Now hold on to that phrase. You're going to notice it a few times here. It's very important. God gave them up because they did not worship him, because they rejected the truth. Their minds become warped. Their minds became futile in the way we think about things. So God gave them up to the lust of their hearts, to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. See, they exchanged, they worshipped the, the, something other than God and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. So, when he, so here's the progression. Paul says in Romans 1, he says that people, everybody, every baby ever born is born with a depraved heart. We're born with a debased mind. We're born with a bent that goes against God, causes us to reject the truth, even though we know the truth. 
All right? And so when we reject God and when we worship something other than God, whether it's a tree, whether it's a rock, whether it's a sport, whether it's a, a, a person, whether it's a career, whatever we give our money, our heart, our time, whatever is the center and circumference of our life, that's what we worship. When we do, it warps our thinking. And, 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 and it not only warps our thinking, our thinking then affects our desires. And what we desire affects our behaviors. And he says that they begin to degrade themselves. And it begins with this warped way of thinking that creates desires. And then desires, out of your desires, flow your behaviors and they degrade their body. Now, notice here what, what Paul says, if, if you look at this, and, and so, uh, you know, when he talks about this progression, I want you to understand that's why we're not big on religion here. Because it begins with your heart rejecting God, which creates how you think, which creates what you desire, which creates what you do. So what religion does is comes along and tries to modify what you do. It starts at a completely wrong place, which is the external behavior. Religion says, oh, do this, but don't do this. Do this, but don't do this. And do this, but don't do this. And, 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 and modify your behavior and you're cool. And the great thing is, is, man, we all have enough willpower to do that for a while. But then we get so angry because we can't do it. And it's hollow because it doesn't fill us. And, man, we don't like it. And we're not about religion. Because religion, religion is about external behavior. Jesus is greater than religion because where Jesus goes, he goes to your heart. And he transforms the heart, and out of your heart will flow your thoughts, which will produce your desires, which will produce actions. So we go to the internal. That's what Jesus does. Religion will not save you. Religion will damn you. Religion will not fulfill you. Religion will leave you empty. Jesus is everything. Jesus is everything. That's where we go. So let's go and fill it out with Romans 26, 1, 26 through 32. Here's what he says. He says, for this reason, God gave them up. That's the second time. God gave them up to a dishonorable passions for their women. Now, I, to be quite honest, when I read this, it doesn't need commentary. Somebody said, well, okay, read it and shut up. It doesn't need commentary because it's clear. When you read this, you're going to understand there's no way you can reconcile homosexuality in the Bible. That's why I just say, man, just say, I don't care about the Bible and we've got a place to begin. All right? So it says, uh, for this reason, God gave them up, second time, to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations, natural relations, for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Pretty clear, isn't it? Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up, the third time you see that phrase, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness. Now, here's what you need to understand. See, he's going he's gonna to give us a whole list of sins here. This is not just about homosexuality. I guarantee you, we all have fit within this. Now, remember, unrighteousness, there's unrighteous acts and unrighteous people. And let me explain the difference. I'm not an unrighteous person because Jesus has redeemed me. I'm not righteous because of my actions. I'm righteous because of Jesus' actions that he gave to me. Now, I am a righteous person, and if you're a believer, you are a righteous person as well. But you as a believer and I as a believer do commit some unrighteous acts. Okay? So an unrighteous person is a person who, who lives a lifestyle of these acts. But a righteous person can commit unrighteous acts. I want you to, I'm trying to help you differentiate because people will say, well, he names all these things. Are we all going to hell? No, Jesus is what makes you righteous. And when Jesus redeems you, he takes away the penalty of sin, which is death, the wrath of God. But we still are in the presence of sin and we still commit sins. I'm not a sinner, I'm a saint, but I still commit sins. So committing these sins is not, uh, you know, what makes you a believer or not. But if you live in a lifestyle of these sins, that says that's an unrighteous person because Jesus transforms your heart. 
And it doesn't mean you're not going to sin, but it means when you do, you are convicted and do not want to sin. And so the lifestyle is not there. Okay, I, I hope you understand. If I really confused you, uh, man, we'll, we'll just stay with us, all right? It takes a long... Theology is not something man, you can explain in a month, year, week, a sermon, t- 10 years. It's a progressive growth, all right, that we've got to go through. So, so it says, they were filled with all manner of unrighteousness. Now look at what he begins to outline. Evil, covetousness, you ever coveted? Malice, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, lying, to, uh, di- uh, 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 gossips. Oh, Lord, man, he's getting down to the, I mean, he's getting down to the least common denominator here, isn't he? Gossip, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents. Boy, you parents are like, I'm going to read that to my kids when I get home. Foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless, though they know God's decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, now get this right here, but give approval to those who practice them. Wow, he says it is, it's just as wrong if you give approval to people who do that. And giving approval sometimes is not speaking the truth. Not speaking the truth is giving approval sometimes, right? We've got to be willing to speak the truth and show compassion. So Paul gives a laundry list of sins here. He gets down to the least common denominator. Not a one of us in here can say we've escaped this list. Not a one of us. We've all been here, Right? Now, he gives a laundry list of sins, and, but he zeroes in on homosexuality because he wants us to know. Not because he's saying homosexuals are at another level of, you know, they're perverts and heterosexual sinners are okay. And homose- he's not saying that. He's not saying homosexuality is an unforgivable sin. He, not at all. He's showing this to let us know how far we will go if left to ourselves. For instance, when he says he gave them up, he says that three times. He gave them up to impure thoughts. He gave them up to uh, dishonorable passions. He gave them up to uh, debased mind. He gave them up. God gave them up. What does that mean? Here's what he's saying. He's saying that sometimes the judgment for sin is sin. Many times we think, well, if you live this horrendous heterosexual lifestyle, I mean, you're going to end up with some STD, you're going to end up with this, and that's going to be God's judgment. And Obviously, some of those things are true, right? But some, he's also saying that sometimes God's judgment against sin is sin, right? For instance, he, he's saying that God is saying when we, when we reject God and we want to be our own God and do our own thing and live our own way, God just says, okay, go at it. And we get then what we want, and what we want is not what we really, really want. Because God, and God just lets us go. Sort of like, you know, when I was about eight, nine years old, I, I grew up in East Tennessee in the Appalachian Mountains, I, and as a, my granddaddy was a tobacco farmer, uh, and uh, he was a farmer. Tobacco was one of the things he raised, and so that's one of the things I raised. So I grew up working on a farm and uh, planting tobacco and driving a tractor before I could even uh, reach the pedals, but I'd drive the tractors, they throw up hay, and so I grew up on a farm, all right? So, uh, you know, and, and, and raising tobacco. And man, you know, so everybody up there, kids, I mean, you know, we're all chewing tobacco. But I remember I, I was begging my mom, I, I want some skull. Get me. My mom was like, no, you're not starting skull yet, but you're not, you know, you know, you're not. I kept begging her, begging her. She said, all right, I'm going to show you. So she bought me a box of skull and said, here, put this in your mouth. Well, I put it in my mouth. Let me tell you, I got sicker than a mule. You know, I mean, you know, now, sadly, that didn't stop me from chewing tobacco for years. But, uh, but my point is, my mom said, all right, I'm going to show you. That's what you want. That's not really what you want. <laughs> you know, now, th- that's what Paul is saying here. Sometimes God's judgment for sin is sin. You see, he's saying that without God's saving grace for believers and God's common grace for the world. Now, let me help you to understand. If you're a believer, you've been saved by God's saving grace. Okay? You've been saved. You've been redeemed. That's God's saving grace. But there's also theologically what's called common grace. And what that means is because we're all born with a heart bent away from God, we are totally depraved and we've got this debased mind. That means that if we were left and totally into ourselves without any restraint, man, there would be no human existence because we would be murdering and killing and raping and maiming each other because we would just be wild and run to ourselves. That's what we would do. But God's common grace restrains. He restrains us from being as bad as we can possibly be. 
That's God's common grace. Now, saving grace is the grace that he has poured out upon those of you who have surrendered your life to Jesus Christ. And so what Paul is saying is without God's saving grace for the believer and without his common grace for the unbeliever, all of us, this is where we would run. And he uses homosexuality, again, not to say that it's the unforgivable sin or, or they're just extra perverted. He's using homosexuality to say this is an example of how far we will go if left unto ourself without any restraint from God. Now, notice he says it's unnatural. It's not just unbiblical, although it, it plainly is unbiblical. He says it is also unnatural. Uh, it's unbiblical, but it's unnatural. I mean, you do not need biology 101 or anatomy 101 to understand that homosexuality is unnatural. You, you, you don't need that to, to understand it's, it's, it's not natural. So homosexuality not just goes against biblical truth, but it goes against natural and biological truth. So if we really want to understand sexuality, marriage, relationships, what do we do? What do we have? Well, the Bible is, is where we go, but where we have to really go is Genesis 1 and 2. Because Genesis 1 and 2 is pre-fall. Genesis 1 and 2 is before sin came into the world. And so therefore, Genesis 1 and 2 is the foundation. Genesis 1 and 2 is when God created a perfect world. So let's go back to Genesis 1 and 2 and see what was God's created order in that perfect world, right? When Jesus talked about sexuality, he referred back to Genesis 1 and 2. When, when the apostles talked about sexuality, they referred back to Genesis 1 and 2 because that is God's created order before the world was tainted by sin, before the fall. And so, you know, as we look at this, we, we understand from Genesis 1 and 2 that God said that he created everything in existence and it was good, right? I mean, everything. He created everything and it was good, including sex. Can I get an amen, guys? Yeah, you guys, y'all ain't like me. So, uh, listen, he created everything, and it was good. And the reason everything is good is because nothing was created to terminate on itself. And that's what we've got to understand. Nothing was created to terminate on itself. Everything was created to be enjoyed, and, and, by, and, and in being enjoyed, then we would give praise to God. For instance... You know, we would see a sunrise or a sunset looking over the beach, and we wouldn't say, oh, isn't that beautiful, son? You are so beautiful. Uh, no, we would look at that and say, that is so beautiful. God, you are so awesome to create that. I remember when I walked out over the Grand Canyon, I was literally, if you've been there, you were awestruck. You look out over the canyon, and it's like, oh, my goodness. And my first thought that came into my mind wasn't, Grand Canyon, you are amazing. My first thought that came to my mind was, God, you are awesome. You see, nothing was made to terminate on itself. I mean, take food, for example. Man, I love cows. I love them. Again, I'm East Tennessee. I'm not Cali. I love cows. I love them. They're the greatest thing. I, you know, and so I, I, New York Strip, that's my favorite meat right there. Boy, I love that cut. And let me tell you something, man. I, you, you talking about I cut that strip and I put that in my mouth, and that is an amazing worship experience right there. <laughs> right? I mean, that caused you to go, thank you, Jesus. Thank you. You see, everything was created not to terminate on itself, but to lead us to honor and worship God. Same with sex. Sex was created by God and declared good by God, not to end on itself, but to cause us to praise God. It, it was created, and, and, and it wasn't just, you know, uh, uh, created just for enjoyment, but to cause us to praise God. Now look at, at Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. It says, so God created man in his own image. This is back pre-fall. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. And now look, male and female, he created them. This is pre-fall. This is before the world was tainted by sin. And God clearly tells us he created male and female, which tells us he created gender. Gender is important. And in our transgender world, we, we would be told that gender is not important. God created gender. He created male. He created female. And so gender is huge. And he made them totally different. I mean, we have different parts that work together in concert with each other for, for incredible pleasure. Is that correct? I mean, that's what makes sex so amazing. Now, 
one of the reasons God created sex was for procreation, right? He said, go, multiply, fill the earth. So one of the reasons that God created sex was procreation. Now, in, in procreation, you know, you can think about it. I, listen, I, surely you learned this and, and, and your mom and daddy taught you the birds and the bees. Surely, right? I mean, men can't have babies. Y'all realize that, right? We got a smart church here. Men can't have babies. A man and a man cannot have a baby. A woman and a woman cannot have a baby. You know, it takes a man and a woman. God's created order before the fall. It's important. Gender is important. But it's not just for for procreate. And and by the way, you know, uh, people who are LGBT generally would, you know, if, if... would claim that they're natural evolutionists, but homosexuality even goes against natural evolution because if you believe in natural evolution, then homosexuality would result in extinction of the species, right? And so, so it even goes against that. And so, so it's just not natural. It's not biological. It's not biblical, okay? So it's, but it's not just for procreation. It's also for recreation, guys, right? Pleasure. I mean, God created sex to be this incredibly intense, pleasurable experience between a husband and a wife. A husband and a wife. Not so that the, the, it would terminate on the pleasure, but in that pleasure, you would worship God. It is a spiritual experience that causes you to worship God and thank God for His great gifts. So it's for procreation. It's for recreation as well. Now look at Genesis 2, 24 and 25. He said, therefore, a man will leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife pre-fall. God's created order. Hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. Important statement there. They shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Now, boy, that's my favorite verse in the Bible right there. <laughs> Guys, y'all need to quote that to your wife sometime. About, about 8 o'clock at night. You may get a black eye. Don't blame me. <laughs> this is pre-fall, before the world was tainted with sin. This is God's design for marriage and sex. He said one flesh. Now, one flesh means, obviously, he's talking about a physical union between a husband and a wife. He's talking about sex. But it's so much more. The whole wording there and the phrase, it it, it involves so much more than physical sex. It involves a spiritual dimension. It is an emotional dimension. It is a relational dimension. It's much more than a physiological act. It is one. It's one person. You're coming together one. Right? It's one. It's not one man and one more man. It's not one woman and one more woman. It's not one man with sister wives. It's one man and one woman. Right? It's one man and one woman. That is the biblical, uh, 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 before the fall, this is the picture of marriage and sexuality and gender before the fall. Now, every time sex is mentioned, uh, or, or sex is, a sexual sin is mentioned in the Bible after Genesis 2, every time sexual sin is mentioned in the Bible, it is a, re- as a result of a violation of Genesis 1 and 2. Because in Genesis 1 and 2, before the fall, there was no sex before marriage. So when, when, when the Bible talks about sex before marriage, it's a violation of Genesis 1 and 2. There was no adultery because the Bible, that would be a violation of Genesis 1 and 2. When the Bible talked about adultery, it's a violation of Genesis 1 and 2. When, there, you know, it's, like I said, sister wives, one man, that, that's a violation of Genesis 1 and 2. Homosexuality, is a violation of Genesis 1 and 2. It's a violation because there is no procreation that can take place. Uh, it's, a, it's against biology. It's against nature. It's against the Bible because there is no procreation that can take place. It's against God's design. It's against one man, one woman. It is unbiblical. It is unnatural. And it is unbiolo- it's not biological. It's against those nature. And so, so when we look at the Bible, it's clear. Now, some would say, you know what? I was born that way. And they would have us to believe that. But here's the issue. A few years ago, there was a, a scientist at Hawaii University who claimed that he found a homosexual gene. And, man, the, world, the LGBT world went crazy with excitement. Finally, it's proven. Now, the scientific world 
said, okay, man, we want to know this research. And so they got it, they studied it, and it was determined he flat out lied, not even, not even fudged a little bit. He lied, and he admitted, oh, yeah, I lied, but now the world believes it, so it really doesn't matter. Okay? Now the world is still believing that, going off of that, even though they say lie, it's like, ah, it, it, it Listen, uh, Ben Carson is a neurosurgeon who is a presidential candidate for 2016. This week he said uh, homosexuality was a choice. Man, people come out of the woodwork to, I mean, just rail him for saying it's a choice. So he backed off and apologized for saying that it was a choice. Now, he is not just saying that it's a choice out of a political position. He's saying that out of a neurosurgeon who knows every synapse in the brain. And he knows it is a choice. Okay? He knows it is a choice. Now, for folks who would say, I was born that way. You know, Lady Gaga says that, right? I was born this way. I think she's spot on, right, correct. I, I don't fight that. I think we're all born that way. Matter of fact, we studied it last week. We're all born with a heart that is bent against God. We're all born with a debased mind. We're all born with a, 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 a heart that rejects God. And that works itself out in many different manifestations. For some of us, it's heterosexual sin. For some of us, it's lying. For some of us, it's murder. For some of us, it's homosexuality, same-sex attraction. Here's what I want you to understand. You don't necessarily choose your temptations. Sometimes you do. You put yourself in a bad situation. But you don't necessarily choose your temptations, right? I mean, when I was growing up, and, and all my life, I have never one moment of one anything had a same-sex attraction, okay? I mean, I, I not, that's not a temptation I've ever had. Some of you have. You don't necessarily choose your temptation, but you do choose your reaction. And you'll be held accountable for your reaction. So we're all born that way when it comes to the fact that we're born with this debased mind, this heart that rejects God, causes us to worship other things. And when we worship other things, it messes up, screws up our thinking. And when our thinking is messed up, it produces desires that are dishonorable. And those desires work themselves out in actions that degrade our body and dishonor the Lord. And so sometimes that's heterosexual sin. Sometimes that's homosexual sin. Sometimes that's lying. Sometimes that's drunkenness. Sometimes that's addictions of all sort of nature. So we are all born with a heart that rejects God. And we're all born that way. And you don't choose your temptations, but you do choose your reactions, and you will be held accountable for your actions. And so what do we do? What do we do? What do you do if you're here and you have a same-sex attraction? What do you do if you have a child? And we do have people here who, with children, same-sex attraction. Friends of children, same-sex attraction. Brothers, same-sex attraction. Your dad same, has that. What do you do? Well, first off, if that is you and you have a same-sex attraction, I'm, I'm going to tell you exactly what I tell folks who have heterosexual or in heterosexual sin. That is why the gospel is so important because the gospel has radical implications for our life. I want to read to you 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 11. And listen to this. It is so, so incredibly important. It says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous... Now, I've already talked to you about unrighteous people and unrighteous acts, okay? So when he says the unrighteous, he's talking about people who have not been redeemed, okay? So he says... Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Not righteous people who commit unrighteous acts, but unrighteous people who've never been redeemed by Jesus will not inherit the kingdom of God, right? See, Rob Bell says there is no kingdom. I mean, you know, there is no hell, so it doesn't matter. Throw this out too. But, but he says, or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, folks. Don't be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral nor idolaters... If you've worshipped your job, if your job's been more important, you give, you know, where's your money go? Where's your heart go? What's the center of your life? Man, that, 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 that would really start to just grate on us all if we looked at this a little deeper. Nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, okay? Now, nor thieves, nor the greedy. You ever been greedy? Man, what do you do with your money? I mean, it's, uh, nor drunkards, nor revilers nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Please understand, once again, he's not saying if you've gotten drunk, if you get drunk, 
Man, if you lie to somebody, if you commit sin, uh, heterosexual sin before marriage, or you have an affair, he's not saying those things send you to hell. He's saying if this is you, you're an unrighteous person, okay? You've not been redeemed by God's grace. He says you do not go to heaven, okay? Now remember, those of us who have been redeemed, we commit some of these acts. They're covered by God's grace. We need to repent from them. I'm just trying to just drill in the difference. And it says, now look at this. He names all these things. Now this is the radical implication of the gospel that you need to get. And such were some of you. So Paul's looking out at the church in Rome and he's writing and he says, people who are having sex before marriage, people who are having sex outside of marriage, people who are lying to people, drunks, addicts, prostitutes, homosexuals. Some of you were all these things. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. You see, Paul said, you once were, but you are not now. It means you weren't born with a gene to be a homosexual. You have chosen that, and it is is out of a result of a heart that rejects God and worships something else, which creates a mind in you that, that warps your thinking, which creates desires, and it works itself out in actions that we just mentioned. And... Jesus redeems. That's why religion doesn't cover those things. It's a heart issue. Jesus is greater than religion. You once were, but you now are not. Jesus can redeem heterosexual sin, homosexual sin, drunkenness, addiction, you name it. Jesus is greater than whatever it is, and he can redeem it. That's for those of you who claim to have the same-sex attraction. Now, how do we handle it as a church? Now, by the way, if you, if you want... A, a, a case study on what I just said about the, so you were but now you're not. Think about Paul, right? Here's what I want you to understand. God does not accept you like you are. God does not accept you like you are. He does something much better. Because some of you are going, hold on a minute, hold on a minute. You know, we got that song, Come Just As You Are. Oh, yeah, that's the only way you can come. You don't get cleaned up to come. But God does not accept you like you are. He does something much better. He accepts you in spite of who you are. And then makes you into someone you're not. And if you want a case study, look at, look at, look at Paul. He was a murdering fool, that guy was. Man, he, he was murdering and killing Christians. And God knocked him down on the road to Damascus. And God didn't tell him, you know what, Paul, I'm just going to accept you like you are. Just go ahead and keep killing people and maiming them. But do it for my glory. No. He accepted him in spite of who he was. And then made Paul into something brand new that he was not. That's what he can do for the homosexual. You're living with a, your girlfriend. You're in an adultery, adulterous affair. That's the power of the gospel. So that's what I would say to those who are dealing with uh, homosexual attraction. Now, what do we do as a church? How are we going to handle as a church? Now, I'm talking about as a corporate body, and then I'm, I'm challenging you as an individual, as the church, out in the community. You handle it with truth and grace. What I want you to understand is when you hear this something about homosexuality, transgender issues, same-sex marriage issues, the thought that I want to drill into your mind that comes out is speak truth, show compassion. Speak truth, show compassion. Speak truth, show compassion. Bold conviction, humble compassion. Strong conviction, humble compassion. Speak truth, show compassion. You see, I, I, we, we, we've been in two ditches, the church. We've been in two ditches. One ditch is this ditch where we, we're trying to, like in Brentwood, the pastor in Brentwood, it says, oh, we're just going to allow it because it's just the way the world's going and we want to be relevant for the world. And No, we're going to stand for the Bible. Throw this out. We don't need to be here today, folks. We're a social club at that point. So we're going to stand on the Bible. So speak truth. But don't get in this ditch and pound people who are homosexuals or pound people who are committing adultery or pound people who are drunks. We speak truth, but we show compassion. We speak truth, but we show compassion as a church. We want every drunk in, in Middle Tennessee right here on Sunday morning. I want every addict right here. If you're, a, if you're a prostitute, thank you for being here. If you're a homosexual, you are welcome in this place. If you're, if you're in, in an adulterous affair, you are welcome here. If you are a, 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 in, a, in a sexual sin before marriage, you're welcome. Now, let me make sure you understand how we're going to handle this in church. There's a difference in how we're going to handle it with a Christian and with someone who's not a Christian. Because the Christian is under biblically what we call church discipline. Okay? 
A Christian is under what we call church discipline, where we're going to go to that person, we're going to talk to that person, we're going to take someone else. You know, uh, that we cannot just allow that to infuse the body and let the body go crazy. That's what Paul's writing the back to the Corinthians about. Okay? So there's a difference in how we handle Christian and non-Christian. The, we cannot expect someone who's not a Christian to act like a Christian. Okay? So there's a difference there, and I need you to understand that. There's a total difference. But we're going to love, and we're going to have compassion. And some people, some people have, a, a, some Christians say, oh, I don't know what to do because am I compromising my core biblical convictions if I have a homosexual over for dinner? Well, I mean, the, the, the problem with that is, is we wouldn't even have that thought if we were inviting someone to dinner who's in an adulterous affair or who's a drunk. I hope you invite those people to dinner. I hope, Jesus, did you know Jesus was called a drunk, by the way? Did Jesus ever get drunk? No, not on your life. Did he drink wine? Yes, every day. But did he get drunk? No, because drunkenness is sin. He was called a drunk, why? Because he hung out with drunks. He hung out with prostitutes. You know, he picked up the prostitute when, when she was getting ready to get stoned, and he had compassion did he say, oh, it doesn't matter what you do? No, go and sin no more. But he had compassion. He spoke truth. He showed compassion. So we ask you to speak truth. You see, people want to compromise their core biblical, or are afraid they'll compromise. Here's the compromise when you don't speak the truth. The compromise is when you don't speak the truth or when you don't show compassion. So if you speak the truth and you tell people, look, here's what I want, need you to understand. I don't believe in what you're doing. I don't believe this lifestyle out of scripture, I do not believe it's consistent with how God created you. But I'm going to love you anyway. Let me give you a great example. I do this all the time. I, 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 you know, I have an, an opportunity right now, and I'm, 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 I'm ministering in, in, in the Muslim world. And I sit across from, 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 from Muslim leaders, and I tell them very quickly, you need to understand something. How, how you doing? Let's exchange pleasantries. Tell me about your family. And then as I sit down and I, and I look across and I say, you need to understand something. We do not worship the same God. We don't. You think I'm going to hell? I know you're going to hell. <laughs> then we laugh about it. All right? And at that point, you know what happens? But I, I say, but, but here's what I want you to understand. My God tells me to love you. My God tells me to love you. And I think you're going to tell me that, that the Quran would tell you that, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I say, so let's, I want to get that straight on the table. We do not worship the same God. We do not come from the same place. I'm not trying to hug you and say, oh, we're just all in this together. And oh, we're going, oh, we're going up the mountain, but we're taking different paths. I don't believe that. And you know what? Every single time I do that, you know what happens? Every single time, and this is with major leaders in the Muslim world, not just America, but other countries, here's what happens every time I do that. Thank you for being honest, because not many people are that honest with me. And man, we begin a friendship. We begin, I speak truth, but I'm very compassionate. Last week, I had a person come back to me at the Next Steps area, came up to me and hugged my neck and said, I want to thank you. I came to this church a few years ago, and I was in the lifestyle. You loved me. I know where you stand. You hugged me every time you saw me. You accepted uh, me for at where I was, but you didn't compromise the truth. I am no longer in the lifestyle, and I haven't been for a long time. We ended up baptizing this person. Such were some of you, but no longer. And that was not just, she wasn't talking just about me, but about the church. That's the gospel. That's how the gospel changes your life. That's how we're going to handle this with speaking the truth and showing compassion. I challenge you. You've got a homosexual neighbor, somebody you work with, take them to dinner. Speak the truth to them and love them, and they will respect you for that. They will respect you. Live the truth. Live this thing called the gospel out in your life. Speak truth. Show compassion. Now, we're way over, but we've got to take up an offering. So, Travis, come on out. <laughs> Sorry, I, music went so long today. Uh, so, <laughs> so, 
So uh, I called Travis actually yesterday and said, hey, bro, what you got for Sunday? He said, well, I got this. I said, dude, this is a potential for a long one. So he, he, he cut out a song. That's my fault. But uh, 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 listen, one sermon's not going to get it. Go to those resources. Come back next Sunday at 5 p.m. Okay, we're going to dive into some more sexual sin, not homosexuality, but further next, next Sunday morning. It's going to be good. Romans is awesome. So, uh, man, uh, uh, we're going to pray. We're going to give our offerings, all right? So we're going to give our offerings, and uh, then we're going to head out. And, and, and thank you for being here. And show, uh, Speak truth. Show compassion. God, we love you. Thank you for your amazing grace. God, thank you for your word. Help us to never compromise your word. God, help us to never compromise your word. Meaning, Lord, help us to never not speak the truth. But also help us to not compromise it by, by being hateful. God, help us to live your word. Speak truth, show compassion. Bold conviction, humble compassion. We love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.